Hey everyone, Saul Marquez here. Have you launched your podcast already and discovered what a pain it could be to keep up with editing, production, show notes, transcripts, and operations? What if you could turn over the keys to your podcast busy work while you do the fun stuff like expanding your network and taking the industry stage? Let us edit your first episode for free so you can experience the freedom. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket, everyone. Saul Marquez here. Today, I have the privilege of hosting the excellent John Sori. He joined Vora Wound Physicians in March 2018 after nearly 25 years of hands healthcare management. Today, he is responsible for management of Vora's core operations and key strategic initiatives. Prior to joining Vora, Mr. Sori helped lead the University of Miami Health System as the chief executive, UHealth Regional Alliance with responsibility for affiliations and expansion, health plan relationships, new reimbursement models, and population health operations. In his time with UHealth, he led the organization's entry into population health and the transformational steps from fee-for-service to value-based health delivery. He expanded the health system through affiliations with physician groups, ACOs, employers, pharmacies, and foreign governments. Prior to joining the university, Mr. Sori was the executive vice president and chief development officer for e-research technology, a leader in clinical research services and electronic patient reported outcomes. He was responsible for leading the company's efforts to diversify internationally and expand with clinical research and healthcare services. He previously led Pfizer Health Solutions and really has just done an extraordinary job overall in population health programs in the U.S. and and Europe. Today, he's focused on this work at Vora Wound Physicians, and uh, I'm excited to learn more as well as to share with with everybody listening today. So, John, thank you so much for joining us today. Great. Thank you, Saul. Pleasure to be with you. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we dive into Vora and the work that you guys do there, talk to us a little bit about what inspires your work in healthcare. Well, so I would probably say it, it, it's four things. And I developed over time, I got into healthcare, so many things you you find an opportunity and then you stay with it. And I think over the nearly 25 years, what I've discovered is, first of all, I say it's professional, you know, the the well-educated, intellectually curious, committed people that you're working with every day is is itself rewarding. I think secondly, it's intensely personal. You know, we all interact with the healthcare system. We all care deeply about it. We all care about our own health, your families, your friends. Join any group and you know healthcare is going to be a topic, a main topic of conversation. Third, I'd say it's highly politicized for better or worse, partly because it's at the heart of who we are as a country. Our approach to it is a constant conversation. Every election, a form of it is being discussed of how to refine and improve, adjust partly because it consumes so much of the economy, but it, it's near and dear to so many hearts. That's without COVID. That's with any situation that's happening. And then I think finally, it's very nature is passionate. People who are involved in healthcare, they come to work every day. And I'd say I do. And the people I work with every day come to work feeling passionate about what they do, especially because they, they're making a difference and they can see it and feel it. I don't know. There are, there are a lot of a lot of great jobs out there, but I think in healthcare, we feel it in those four ways in particular. I know it really resonates with me and it's it's kept me excited for we're 25 years doing this. So I, I'd say it's, it inspires. No, that's, that's fantastic. And John, you know, you've done some amazing work in your career, made a big impact at the IDN system level, even for industry. So I'm intrigued by the work you're doing 
at Vora Wound Physicians and and sort of the opportunity that uh, is at the center of that. So tell us a little bit about the work you guys do and help us learn more about the value you guys are offering to the ecosystem. Great. So yeah, I've had the pleasure of working in a variety of areas in healthcare and, and I honestly was not even that aware of wound care specifically. So I'd say when you talk about adding value, I mean, first is, you know, is it, is it an area worth focusing on? You know, is, is there value to be had? And then the second is, do we add value by a better approach to it? And so I'd say, you know, wound care, what, what is it? I mean, it's, you know, we're primarily talking about seniors. When I, when I say wound care, we're talking about seniors residing in nursing homes, suffering from pressure ulcers, diabetic wounds, venous and arterial wounds, which are also related to circulatory issues, all of which are growing in number. About 2% of the U.S. population, nearly 15% of Medicare beneficiaries have chronic wounds. So this is a, this is a large area and it's, uh, it's expensive. I might say, well, why is it growing? What is it? It's connected to the aging of the population, connected to megatrends like obesity, the rise in diabetes. I look at some of what's happening out there. You know, say diabetes, for example, diabetic foot ulcers. What is that? I think the estimate is about 13% of, of diabetics have foot ulcers. And uh, these are it's related to all these same factors. The venous leg ulcers, which are connected to circulatory problems and hypertension, that's one and a half percent of the population. Pressure ulcers large, as I mentioned, and there's a, this post-surgical wounds. What is it's it's larger than I realized. It's growing and it's in need of work. In other words, it's, you know, what is the way to take care of it? So we come back to, all right, if, if many of these folks that with chronic wounds are in nursing homes, how are they treated? And the way that it's historically been treated has been a patient or a resident of a nursing home is put into a vehicle and taken to a wound care clinic or a hospital for their wound to be treated. And this really gets to the genesis of the practice. I mean, the practice started with Dr. Vora going, being part of a wound care clinic, which is affiliated with a hospital, and seeing a patient on one day of one week, then they go back to the nursing home. There's no influence over what the care is in that nursing home. So when he sees the patient again a week later, there may be no improvement or nobody's educated on exactly how to take care of a complex wound. So it started as, well, then let me go out to the nursing home and see the patient where they are. So all of a sudden we had to had not just transporting somebody to a hospital-based clinic, which by its nature is very expensive, but also you have somebody who is an expert teaching the staff of the nursing home how to take care of the patient for the next six days, because if we typically round once a week, you can make certain that that person has the care that they need. So you avoid the infection risk, the risk of fall, the hospital-based costs that are so great. Um, mm-hmm. Educate the wound care team, which has ongoing benefits. So as these numbers and the prevalence of wounds rise, wounds rise, you want to make sure that they're treated where they are. And increasingly, we're seeing the trend of people being treated at home. And if you're a nursing home patient, your home is the is the nursing home. You're a resident there. So many of our patients, about seventy percent of our encounters are with patients who are nurse or residents of those homes and will be for a long period of time. So I'd say that's really the growing need for wound care, and then a model that says, "How do I do it more efficiently with a model that is keeping you out of the hospital, with people who will be uh, learning from you, the doctor, so they know what to do when you're not there?" It, it's really helpful for continuity of care. It's helpful for ongoing benefit for the next time that wound care nurse sees a patient. So that's how we feel about when we think of the benefits sort of in in summary form, I'd say. Yeah, no, that's really interesting, John. And I've heard some stats around, you know, these board certified wound care nurses. Sounds like the bulk of them, a good 90% are actually working inside of the hospital. And at the site of care, there's about 10%. And so how do you get 
you know, this care delivered more efficiently is I think what you guys are are doing, right? Exactly. I mean, so part of it is you know, if, if the, if the experts are in the hospital, then the, you know, unfortunately the patients have to go to the hospital. I mean, hospitals are wonderful for the care they provide. In other words, it's in, in this day and age, we saw how critical it is to have a hospital, but you want to be in the right place of care for the services that you need. And I think driving a lot of what we talk about is accessibility. I mean, how do you make certain that a patient needing the care has somebody who's accessible to them? So uh, are doctors going to bedside as opposed to, again, somebody having to go to the doctor? It's a new model. It's something entirely different. So we go to the patient and much the same way. We'll also, this is a bit of the digitization of healthcare and the change that we see, which is the telemedicine option. In other words, let's say somebody shows up in the, in the nursing home and they have a wound and it's on a Thursday and we don't really round there till Monday, they can reach out to us and say, what should we do with this patient? They'll put, do a video image. We'll see the patient say, oh, so the next three days, this is what you should do. We'll give them that advice so we don't lose time. And also very importantly, the, the person gets the care that they need. So we, we've used the benefit of technology to make sure that there's even more access. And I'd add one more, which is we can take that same patient who's discharged from a hospital, from a nursing home, from a long-term care facility of any type, and we can have telemedicine into the home, working with the, the caregiver or the home health nurse to make sure that they're, they're taken care of as well. So I'd say accessibility is a real driver of value. And it's one that says, there's not just one place of care that's meaningful in the healthcare ecosystem. How do we support it all? And once you're expert in a certain area, in this case, especially of wound care, we have the ability to try to make certain that we're available when people need the services that our specialists can provide. Yeah, that's super interesting. And so it's really, it's, it's an access play. It's, uh, you know, using technology, right? And, and also just bringing the skills necessary to the bedside instead of the other way around. So give us an example, John, you know, give us an example of how what you guys are doing is improving outcomes or bettering business models within healthcare. Well, I guess this is an outcome show, right? So, I, you know, so, <laughs> so what's, the, you know, I, I guess what I would say is what's the tail of the tape for us? And I'll just, we did a study a couple of years ago, which uh, just to prove out that, that our model was, was effective. And so what are the key endpoints? I mean, number one is, is a reduction in the overall cost of care which is almost $20,000 per patient, driven in part by an 88% reduction in hospitalizations, faster healing times by almost 21 days, reduced loss of limb. So think about not to mention the improved quality of life, not having to go somewhere to be taken care of. So you put all those factors together and all of a sudden you have positive outcomes. And I think those outcomes, they do speak for themselves, but they come from just the fact that you have somebody who has gone through a year's worth of training in a specialty to make certain that the decisions they're making not only are the right ones for the patient, but they're so consistently that as, as courses, the therapy needs to be adjusted, they can provide just that adjustment. I mean, this is, this is a field of healthcare where it's incredibly fragmented and there are no clear clinical protocols. Partly it's because it's, as a subspecialty, it's not widely recognized. So therefore, when you have well-trained physicians and a team that work together, they can develop those protocols and make certain that you have the positive outcomes. We train our, the nurses that we work with. We have wound care nurses in the 3,000 or so facilities that we go to every week. We offer them wound care education. We do in-services. We make certain that they see why we choose what we did. In fact, just this past weekend, we had a, a nurse conference, free for nurses who are who see patients with wounds. And we, we went through, must have been 25 different cases. What would be the decisions you would make in these cases when you see a patient presenting with this kind of a wound? The point is, it's not just reliant upon the doctor, it's reliant to upon a whole team. That team-based approach is meaningful. 
So we see it as, yes, educating the team, being a leader, creating a wound care team around the patient, you know, so team-based care. I think those are some examples. And yeah, have- I mean, the, the numbers are clear. I mean, you guys are certainly improving outcomes in a big way. So who are you guys working with mainly? You're are you partnering with with the provider organizations, the payer organizations as well? You know, what's the what's the makeup there? Sure. Well, we're largely in nursing homes. There are about fifteen thousand two hundred or so nursing homes, and we're in about three thousand of those. We work operate now in twenty eight states. So there are plenty more nursing homes that we can work with. We also go into assisted living facilities increasingly. About twenty nine thousand assisted living facilities. Now they'll have, they'll have a lower acuity, so you're not likely to see the same kind of patients that live in an assisted living facility. But as you know, as people age, they might migrate toward a, um, a higher form of care. You know, more intense support. We go into long term acute care facilities, which might have you know rehab like work. We go in there. We increasingly are taking care of patients via telemedicine in the home. Um, that's mm-hmm. not just a a COVID. Result begin that patients are staying at home. It's also a function of the fact that we have the technology to connect. And there are there are about seven million patients with wounds at home today. Huh. It's probably going to grow to um, almost ten million in the next you know five years. When is it? You know, we see that as a need, and we also see that caregivers don't necessarily know how to take care of a, a loved one with a with a large a large pressure wound on the sacrum, which is very common. And, you know, by the way, what do you watch out for? If you have a sacral wound, you know, you might also like that have a heel, a wound at your heel because of the pressure that you're on. And pressure wounds are, they're dangerous. Yeah. They can be really difficult to live with. And, you know, one reason got to keep an eye on it is what is it that that they need? What kind of support, what kind of dressings to, uh, you know, is it are appropriate and a bed support, you know? So we work together to, to try to make sure that there's somebody that we can work with to help, you know, extend that physician and the care even further beyond the time that we're there. That's fantastic. And so for the home care, as as you well know, right? I mean, that's a big thing right now. And care in the home is something that many are exploring. How does that relationship work? Is that is that more so contract through an insurance plan managing a population? So any and all of the above, I guess I'd say, you know, so we work very closely with some large health plans and whether it's Medicaid or Medicare, there there have been some that if you think about this value model I mentioned, which is trying to keep patients out of the hospital, it speaks directly to a health plan. You know, a lot of initiatives that health plans have have created over the years have been to drive better care, but also to the care that is coordinated in such a way as that they don't need to knock on the on the emergency room door. And it's not hospitals are not good places. Emergency rooms aren't good places for complex chronic needs. The rise of care coordination and chronic disease management programs, which have been inspired by payers like commercial payers, it's really to make certain that wherever they're aging and wherever they're wherever they're trying to you know improve their health, they're doing it in the in the right environment. So yes, yeah, so the big Medicare Advantage plans in particular are our customers. We have honestly we have hundreds of Medicare Advantage contracts. We're seeing the rise of different you know, groups that even inside of nursing homes you have. These institutional special needs plans, the ISNPs that have developed that are really trying to make sure that they can take a, a group of patients inside a nursing home and manage all their care and keep the cost down. And just like Medicare Advantage can keep the cost down for the federal government and Medicare, so too can an ISNP keep the cost down for the federal government, much the same way, a capitated rate per day, and they work that out. So we're seeing a, a lot of growth in that area and have some wonderful relationships because, again, we're on the same side of the value curve as these kinds of organizations are trying to keep the right kind of specialty care in their network so they can they can see uh, better care at lower cost. 
Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that, John, and um, really meaningful work. And, you know, I love how honed in you are on the total available market and just, you know, crystal clear about what the opportunity is, what your share is within it. It's always for me, and I know for listeners as well, inspiring to talk to a leader that knows the business that they're in. And it's it's certain that that you do. And obviously, that's what it takes to have success with the outcomes. And so talk to us about setbacks. You know, I feel like we learn more as leaders from setbacks than our successes. Maybe tell us about one and maybe a challenge or a setback and what you gained out of that that's made you guys even better. Well, so the practice has been around for 20 years. So to get to this point after over 20 years, there, there are a lot of experiences and many, many before I joined the practice. I mean, it's, it's the reality that how do you work through a new model of care? Of course, you know, I can say the, the biggest first challenge that comes to my mind when we talk about this is inertia. I hate to say that, but you know that, that it's very hard to change a system that's been routinized for a long period of time. So what is that? I mean, it's the, when I see a wound like this, I put them in a, in a, a vehicle and I transport them elsewhere. So to say, you don't need to go elsewhere. You can go right here. You can stay where you are and work together with us. And so that, that idea of changing the model of care was the first big challenge. I'd say the, um, what did we learn from that is outcome speak. You have to have, say, just let me, let me let you meet the doctor. Let me show you what we've done. Let me show you the outcomes and let's you know walk through the process. Now, I'd say we, we learned from that, that, that people fight this fragmented healthcare system and, and ask, you know, what are ways that we can, we can simplify? And so having a doctor come in was simplifying, but the other is we have multiple people coming in here and saying, we'll provide the dressings, for example. Like the, the doctor says, this is what the patient needs. Now, how does it get to the patient? Like, how, how does that dressing what do you put on that wound after you, you've treated it? What do they need for the next two weeks or 30 days? And what we found was, and this sounds somewhat horrible, but we would recommend something and somebody would come in afterwards and seemingly change the order. In other words, say, well, maybe they need this. And they double, they sort of double think what the, what the physician was recommending. They, yeah. they come in behind us. That is not the care model that we're looking for. <laughs> You know, in other words, I don't think anybody wants that. So we, we then said, okay, we'll, we'll just set up a process where we can just order directly on behalf of the patient for the dressings that they need to take care of their patients. So it was trying to, again, eliminate fragmentation because that was, that was hurting communications. It was, it was hurting the delivery of care. It was, we thought it was affecting our outcomes. So we then we just took it upon ourselves to create a, a side service, if you will, that, that our, that many of our facilities have taken up, taken advantage of. So I, I think, I guess the third one that comes to mind that on the fragmentation side is how to communicate what happened. You know, so we have little over a million in- encounters per year. So that's a patient with a physician. It's, it's substantial. The question is, how does what the doctor just did, how does it get in the hands of the nurse? As much as we talk about electronic medical records and integration of systems, unfortunately, it doesn't always work so easily. In other words, we, our, mess, our physician note goes up to a portal where a, where a nurse comes, pulls it down and it pins it to the medical record in their system. But that is a somewhat of a time-consuming process. And as nice as it is, it almost feels almost like a fax. You know, we yeah. don't pull it down. So what we've done is we've now integrated with the largest EMR provider in the long-term care space to make certain that our, our note can seamlessly move right into the medical record and save everybody a whole lot of time. It also helps us in the front end to register that patient and get all the information, demographics, and increasingly, you know, medical history. So now we can move more quickly. But it took us a while to get there. So we, we felt the, the bumps and bruises of not having as unified a system as we all aspire to. I'd say those are some, some learnings. And then all of which have, have sort of have a good, good endpoint now. 
certainly there are ones that where we stubbed our toes over the years just as we try to learn how to do it. But those are the those are ones I think now that feel the most powerful in terms of they all led to something good. That's a great message, right? And and there's so many examples of communication breakdown that leads to gaps in care. And and then the the EMR integration. I mean, I love the focus that you guys say, hey, you know, we're not on the major EMR platform. We're not synced. Let's make it happen. You did. And I'm sure that that has shown major improvement in overall outcomes. You know, the other thing that comes to mind, John, is so I appreciate you sharing that is this concept of, okay, you know, you take care of something at the point of care, but then what happens between that and the next visit is a lot of times what connects the dots and ensures for the best outcomes. How do you guys deal with that, you know, continuity? So it's a great question. And I'm just a little departure. I mean, imagine you're a primary care doctor seeing a diabetic and you give them the advice on what to do. And you see them a month later and you wonder why their hemoglobin A1C is worse than ever. You know, they didn't take the advice, right? They didn't, they didn't right. so much of healthcare is behaviors. Well, in our case, you know, these are pretty, you know, these are typically elderly, somewhat disabled, you know, in bed. So the question is not so much what behaviors they can do because they're somewhat of a controlled environment. The question really, I think, think it through comes down to who is, who's involved in the process of care during those next six days, which is why I yes. talk so much about you know, a wound care team. We educate the wound care nurse. We, if it's home, we try to make sure that we have programs that the, the home health nurse can learn. Again, we believe that the home health aides and home health nurses will be a big part of the future. So we have, a, we have an education platform just for that. Those are the primary ways. Now we work every quarter with our corporate accounts. We have, we have quarterly service reviews. You know, how are we doing? Are we communicating? How is that? You know, we, we constantly are reaching out, making sure that the communication between the physician and team is working. So it's like a 360 review that we increasingly do. And then what I also would say is, and anybody, if anybody's listening from a long-term care facility, they will tell you that a large number of folks working in long-term care experience great turnover. It's a very, very tough environment. I mean, it's people working in nursing homes are working on the side of angels. I mean, if you really think about how tough that that is, and so people who do that, it's challenging, and you've got to you've got to really love the the care. You know, talk about passion in healthcare, but there is a lot of turnover. So often we find ourselves as the as the point of continuity. We're, we see ourselves in services and consistently educating to make sure that whoever, you know, the next group is, is knowledgeable. So we, we might have the history with the patient that the, the newest nurse doesn't have. So we can train and educate, but then it's also bringing somebody up to speed who's, who's new to us and even new to the facility. That's what we see. Uh, some great takeaways there, John. And again, just distinguishing how, you know, the practices that you guys have make you special and unique. And obviously the reasons why you guys have been able to to be around for 20 years and and evolve in the way that you have. You know, you talk about the care and the numbers. What excites you most today, John? Well, maybe you can sense it from this. I mean, I do think that we're on the right side. You know, in other words, this is the this is where healthcare is going. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what we need. I, I was I have had the, the benefit of being in, in population management and chronic disease management. I've been I worked for Pfizer for a number of years, which in the news a lot these days. I mean, these these are making each in their own way make a huge impact on people's lives and on the healthcare community. I feel that this area, you know, what we do with the rise, you know, the aging of the population, the rise of that portion of the population, the fact that we can keep quality of life better for longer, that there's demand for our work because it, it is so good. And I will tell you, it's, it's superior here than it is anywhere in the world. So we have opportunities to share some of what we've learned elsewhere, which I think is, you know, gives us 
just that sense of having having made a difference. And I think at the end of the day, end of the day, the people in our organization feel that they are making a difference. In fact, when we we hire physicians, one point that really resonates with many that we talk about is they can see the impact of their actions. In other words, you can physically avert, you can visually see the as the wound heals. And you know, when you can see what you're doing and see the impact of it, you know you're a part of that. It's very rewarding. And I think it, it's what drives a lot of us. So there's opportunity ahead. We're still, we're just still relatively small in a growing market. We're seeing that even with what's happened in the last year with COVID and what have you, that, that people have uh, people have not been going into nursing homes at the same rates as before. Occupancy rates have, have been declining in part because it was it was concern over what would happen. We're seeing that turn around now. I mean, mm-hmm. the first folks to get vaccines for COVID were nursing homes. So it, in some, in some people are saying it, it may soon be the safest place in America to be because they'll be so well vaccinated and so well supported. Yeah. So again, we'll see that upturn again and we're continuing to grow and, and that's that's very rewarding. So we, we like what we do. That's fantastic, John. You know, your passion is palpable and and uh, just kind of considering your experience and, and kind of what you've done, what, what you did with the university and expanding these programs internationally. I mean, the care that you provide, I mean, is it's without borders, right? So this is something that could be meaningful across the globe and is certainly exciting to hear and see the work that you guys are, are making such a difference with. This has been fun. I've truly enjoyed spending time with you and I'm sure the listeners have too. So John, give us a closing thought and then tell the listeners that are interested in, in learning more where they could get in touch with you and the team. Sure. So I guess first is if there are physicians who are listening, if this sounds interesting, you know, we, like I said, we're growing, we're in 28 states and maybe, maybe if you're one of the communities where we're looking for support, I can tell you that the, we have a sense of urgency because there is demand and we'd love to, we'd love to talk to you. We can talk about primarily surgeons, I'd say general surgery or surgical subspecialties, then family medicine, internal medicine are the primary areas, but we have cover many different specialty groups that join our practice. So if you're interested, that's, that's one thing. The second is if anybody has a family member in a nursing home, go see them. I mean, it's a, it's a very, I mean, I've been into a number of nursing homes and, and it's the place where you should make sure you take, take a few minutes to, to see and give some, give some care to the person that you know that's there. And the third is that so much of our health is somewhat controllable, right? You know, they talk about how much is connected to genetics and how much is connected to environment and how much it's connected to behaviors. If you don't take care of yourself, you might find yourself suffering from some, what would have been avoidable causes long-term. I mean, you know, some of the drivers we talk about are things like obesity or other, other chronic diseases that if you act now, maybe you won't, you won't suffer from those, but we see the effect of that, you know, many years later. And I just encourage us all to, to be mindful. <laughs> you know, we have a chance to think hard about it. And it just feels like we, we see in the life stuff that comes back to haunt people. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't think that we all have a sense of um, responsibility to ourselves and to our family to take care of ourselves and try to make sure others do the same. Maybe that's not my place to say, but I guess it feels to me like when you see it, but it's like, it feels important. If you do have a family member who's, who's going into a nursing home, there's some high quality ones out there. We've actually identified some as, we'll call it wound care centers of excellence, which are very, very good at taking care of, of patients with wounds. I encourage you to look for those kinds of nursing homes for those that you're treating or taking care of. And I think that we're, we're on a good trajectory in terms of, of being, being really, really wise with what we need to do to, to take better care of, of people all across the healthcare continuum. So I'm very positive and optimistic that way. John, thank you. Some great closing thoughts there and uh, certainly great message. I think well in line 
right? I mean, we all have that power to make the decisions that are going to make us healthy, those behavior, those health, those lifestyle choices that ultimately matter. So appreciate you calling that out. And, and also, if you do have somebody in a, in a nursing home, by all means, you know, just, just visit them, take care of them. I think John's message is, is awesome. It's uh, spot on with, with all of us. And so, John, I just want to say thank you. And it's vorawoundcare.com, right? V-O-H-R-A woundcare. Dot com. Anywhere else that you would suggest the listeners reach out to you guys? Well, if, if this resonates with anybody, you can always email me at my initial J, sorry, S-O-R-Y at vorephysicians.com. Outstanding. And we'll leave that in the uh, show notes for everyone, including the links to their website. And uh, certainly looking forward to seeing how you guys evolve, John. And we appreciate all the all the insights you've shared today. Great. Well, thank you, Saul. I really appreciate the, the invitation, the opportunity. So my pleasure. Hey, Outcomes Rocket listeners, Saul Marquez here. I get what a phenomenal asset a podcast could be for your business and also how frustrating it is to navigate editing and production, monetization, and achieving the ROI you're looking for. Technical busy work shouldn't stop you from getting your genius into the world though. You should be able to build your brand easily with a professional podcast that gets attention. A patched up podcast could ruin your business. Let us do the technical busy work behind the scenes while you share your genius on the mic and take the industry stage. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more.